All right. Well, good morning, church. Preschoolers, you are dismissed. And everyone else, I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And even as I say those words, my heart rejoices, as many of yours do, do as well, knowing that Romans 8 is one of the most glorious chapters in all of Scripture. And when you don't know where to go when reading your Bible, let me encourage you to go to Romans 8. And when you don't know what to pray, go to Romans 8. When you're struggling with guilt and shame, go to Romans 8. When you have questions and are doubting your faith, go to Romans 8. When you find yourself falling back into fear, go to Romans 8. When you have lost sight of your true identity, go to Romans 8. When you are weary of present sufferings, go to Romans 8. And when you are unsure of how God is working and for what ultimate purpose, go to Romans 8. It really is a glorious chapter, church. From Romans 6 through 8, we've been seeing what happens after we receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And last week, we learned that when the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us, it is time for war. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit are at war within us. And this truth, it helps us understand ourselves a little bit better, helps us explain what's going on in our hearts and minds. But while it does help explain us, it does not define us, for we know that what's coming in Romans 8, that our identity and, and what defines us is that we are children of God. But this war between the flesh and the Spirit, it does explain what's happening in our hearts and our minds, and we learned and we know that it is now time to make war on the sinful desires that still remain in us. And so last week, it was all about understanding that it is wartime. This week, however, we'll learn that it is also peacetime. When the Spirit of God comes into your life, it is both wartime and peacetime. The two can both be true at the same time. Holding two truths in tension that at first seem to contradict each other, this should not be unusual to us. This is common in the Christian faith. We have to get used to the tension here. For example, Jesus is fully God and fully man. God is sovereign and humanity is responsible for their choices and sin. The kingdom of God is already here, but not yet fully realized. And in a similar way, it is both wartime and peacetime. But the Spirit has changed who we are at war with and who we are at peace with. You see, before the Spirit came into our lives, we were warring with God and one another, all the while making peace with our sin. Isn't that the natural bent of mankind in his sin, to rebel against God, to fight God for his position and his authority and his control? Even the nicest of human beings walking on the earth is not in a neutral position towards God. They have either bowed their knee to him or they are fighting him for his job. 
And isn't this what we see happening with many around us? They're doing all they can through media and medicine and therapy to make people feel okay with their sin, to be at peace with it. The great deceiver of our souls has convinced many that our sin is what we should make peace with, and God and one another are who we should make war with. But church, fighting God and others and making peace with our sin is a pathway that leads to death. And Christ came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. And therefore, he has sent us the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And when the Spirit of God takes up residence in our hearts, we must learn that now we have peace with God and with one another, and we make war on our sin. And it is this peace with God and one another that we must enjoy this morning. Biblical peace is more than just a a lack of conflict. It's getting at the idea of a wholeness, a completeness. It's a state of rest and tranquility. There's a security component to it. A true peace with someone gives us a safety and security with someone. And church, Romans 8 is all about your security in Christ. And so let's go to the Lord today. Let's ask that God would give us his peace this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would give attention to our cries for help and for peace. Help us be humble and help me speak truth. Help me be faithful to your word. We enter this morning to worship you through the abundance of your steadfast love, to make much of you this morning. Jesus, we want to make much of you this morning. And so lead us, Lord, as I preach and as we hear and receive your word. Lead us in your righteousness. May you spread your protection over us and cover us with your favor that those who love your name may exalt in you. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, look with me now at Romans 8, verse 1. God's word says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've often heard the expression when reading the Bible that when you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself what therefore is there for. Is he referring back to the last couple of verses in Romans 7, where he lets out this cry, not of despair, but this cry of deliverance? Look back at Romans 7, 24 and 25. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, Serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. But could he also in chapter 8 be referring not, to, not just to these verses, but instead all of Romans 7 and 6 and the entire letter thus far? He certainly could. It's all been building to this glorious mountaintop, mountaintop experience of Romans 8. But the word therefore is not really the word that demands our attention here in verse 1. 
When biblical writers draw, want to draw our attention to and emphasize a particular word, they move it to the first part of the sentence. And this was their way of helping their readers to see that this is important. This word is important. And in the original Greek, the first word that Paul writes in this sentence is no. No. Paul is emphasizing here that there is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, you might have some warring desires going on in your heart and mind, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's not a little condemnation. It's not as if Christ took some and now you're going to take some. No way, church. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word condemnation, it's a, it's a legal term. It's essentially the opposite of justification and being declared righteous. Condemnation is the opposite of that. To be condemned is to be punished, to have penalties come down on you in judgment. And for the believer, for the one who loves and trusts Jesus, God's word says that there is not one ounce of condemnation that is coming down on you now or ever in the future. We know from other parts of Scripture that God still disciplines those He loves as a loving Father would, but there is no condemnation, there is no wrath, no punishment, no retribution for those in Christ. This is truly good and glorious and great news, church. But we all, at times, still feel like we deserve some condemnation, don't we? I mean, as image bearers of God, we all still have an ingrained desire for justice. But here's the thing. It's not that God has swept the condemnation your sin deserved under the rug. No, look what he did. Look back at verse 2. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. All right? He's saying now that the power of the Spirit has come into your life, you've been set free from the power of sin and death. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Church, God did what the law could not do. Because of the presence of sin in our hearts, we couldn't fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And so God did what we could not do. We could not live righteously in our own strength. We had sinned and continued to sin. We had fallen short and continued to fall short. We had rebelled against our good and holy God. But God sent his son. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, willingly came 
in the likeness of sinful flesh. He took on human flesh. He was fully human, but was without sin. That's why he says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. And then he went to the cross He took our sin upon himself to the cross, and on that wonderful cross, God condemned our sin that was placed on Christ's flesh. You see, we have such a hard time believing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we know that our sin deserves some condemnation. And if, and if you don't really feel that about your own sin, you at least know that the sins of your brothers and sisters sitting around you deserve some condemnation. But church, our sins were condemned. They were. All of our sins, past, present, and future, were condemned on the cross. Our Savior willingly took the condemnation that we deserved, that was meant for us, in order that his righteousness could be credited to us, in order that his righteousness would then transform us and cause us to delight in him and in his law, thereby fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law in us. His righteousness has now been credited to us. His righteousness has now caused us to delight in him, to delight in his word and his law. And he is, by Christ's work and the spirit application, he is fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law in us. Church, can you look to the cross and see the peace with God and others that was obtained for you by Christ. By him taking the condemnation that we deserved, he has made peace with us and God. He's made it possible for us to have peace with one another. You are no longer at war with God, and God is no longer at war with you. God is no longer a judge standing over you. He is now your loving Father who welcomes you. And we have to get this, church. We have to get this. Not only do we have to know this, but we have to believe this. We have to remember this. And we have to remind one another of this glorious truth that Christ on the cross purchased peace for us. And that now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones, will have a quote from him up on the screen, but he thought that this was such a foundational truth, referring to Romans 8 verse 1, that he once said this. He said, most of our troubles in life are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. And I agree I agree. Most of our troubles in life are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. You see, when we go through struggles and hardships and trials in life, and we remember and realize the truth that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, 
that helps us see that God in that struggle, he's not punishing us. He's actually purifying us. He's strengthening us. He's preparing us for life with him. When we sin, all right, when we sin, we often want to run and hide from God and from one another. But the truth that there is no condemnation should cause us to run to God and his people quickly and to quickly confess and repent and return to enjoying fellowship with him and others once again. You see, church, we waste seasons of our lives thinking that God is always disappointed with us, that we are failures and we will always be failures, that God has reluctantly led us into his family, but this is just sort of a trial run. We're on a probationary period here. We wrongly think that God is just waiting for us to slip up so he can get us back for all we've done and And we miss out on the joy of experiencing his mercies that are new every morning, church. We must realize and remind ourselves of this great foundational truth. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When the Supreme Court overturned the Roe decision, I didn't quickly talk about it in a, in a corporate gathering or necessarily celebrate it in a corporate gathering because there was still some unknown about what this was going to look like for Indiana and what this meant for people here. But what I've felt the pressing need to share with you is that a decision like this with national attention and it being the talk that everyone now is talking about and thinking about, as your pastor... I know that this issue and this topic, it can bring up some past guilt and shame for some of you who have had abortions, who have had significant others who have had abortions. Many of our friends and family members and neighbors have had abortions. And listen, I do believe that life starts at conception. I do believe ending an innocent life is murder. I do believe it is consistent with God's word to call upon the civil government to protect the innocent and punish the evildoer. That's the role that God has given the civil government. And I'll be, I'll be sending out some information later in an email with some more resources and, and uh, reading materials and opportunities that are coming up in the next few weeks to help you be more aware of what's going on, as well as to help you know how to biblically approach this issue, because that's what we want to be. We want to be faithful to God's word and followers of Christ in this. But listen, what I was initially hit with is that our people and your friends and many family and millions in our country need to know that God offers them forgiveness through Christ Jesus our Lord. That, that, that abortion and the whole abortion industry and the whole abortion business, it is sin, but that God is in the business of saving sinners. And for those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. And I love that God has already been stirring it up in many of our hearts to get more involved with CareNet pregnancy centers and stirring up in people's hearts to raise funds and get ready to adopt orphans. It's almost like God knew these things were coming and he was preparing us, right? 
And so, yes, we must pray for the end of the innocent being killed. We must, we must be involved in how we, our convictions might lead us, but we must also pray that we would be willing and ready to step in and care for those in need, to care for the orphan, to come alongside and support those that are in need and need help. The message against abortion cannot be the only message we proclaim. We must also proclaim that God has made a way for us to be forgiven of all our sin through faith in Christ. The message from those in the world throughout the last few years has been all about calling people to endless confession and repentance and forcing apologies, but what they don't have that Christians have is the message of forgiveness. Without Christ, all there is is endless repenting and confessing and apologizing for breaking the ever-moving target of popular cultural opinion. But our God does not call us to repentance without also the promise of forgiveness and peace. He took our condemnation so that we might be forgiven and restored and have peace with God and peace with one another. Now listen, church, the enemy can't go back and undo Christ dying on the cross and taking your condemnation. I'm sure he wished he could. He can't go back and reverse that. He got duped there. He got served there. But what he can do is he can come and whisper deceitful lies into the believer's ear and try to convince you that you must still condemn yourself. He can't undo the fact that God no longer condemns you, but he can make you think that you should condemn you. The sinful desires of our own heart can tell you that you should still condemn you and punish and condemn your brother or sister who is sitting here next to you. Are we doing this, church? Are we condemning and punishing one another? Penalizing one another, getting retribution on one another? withholding love and grace and forgiveness from one another as a way to try to make right how we have been wronged. Now, there certainly comes times where we must lovingly discipline one another, where we must train one another, where we must, we must teach one another, where we must speak to truth to one another. Yes, and amen to that. But if we are in Christ, we must go about doing that in a way that is not trying to bring about punishment and retribution. Correction is very different than condemnation, and a brother or sister knows the difference when you meet with them, don't they? I mean, you know the difference sitting in the room where someone is trying to lovingly correct you, or are they pridefully and angrily condemning you? You know the difference. You can feel and smell the difference. And your children know the difference too. When you're lovingly correcting them and guiding them and training them, or you're pridefully and angrily condemning them, getting them back. God does not condemn the brother and sister sitting next to you. But do you?
If you are in Christ, God does not condemn you. But do you? There is therefore now, church, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But as glorious as this verse is for those who are in Christ, it is equally as horrifying for those who are not in Christ. Because for them, condemnation still awaits. And Paul goes on here to describe the difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not. Those who are not in Christ, he describes them as ones who are in the flesh and walk according to the flesh and set their minds on the flesh. But those who are in Christ are ones who walk according to the Spirit and set their minds on the Spirit. And this is how they experience true life and peace day to day. Yes, peace has been accomplished for you through the work of Christ, but how is it applied to you both now and into the future? That's what we need to see. Peace has been accomplished for you through the work of Christ, but how is it being applied to you day in and day out for you to experience and enjoy? Look back with me now at Romans 8, verse 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God. Okay, here we see that for those who are not in Christ, for the unbeliever, they are described as ones who live according to the flesh. And they live according to the flesh because they are setting their minds also on the things of the flesh. And with minds that are set on the flesh, they are hostile to God. And a mind that is hostile to God does not submit to God's law. Indeed, It cannot, is what God's word says. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And church, it is a lie that we can all find our own way to life and peace. God's word says that that is not true. But people are deceived and deceive themselves into thinking that they can please God or whatever higher power is out there in their own way. That this person can find what works for them and this person can find what works for them and this person can find what works for them. And surely whatever God is out there will be pleased with the effort of a human being trying their best. False. It's not true. It sounds nice, but it's not true. And if you love someone, you tell them the truth. This is what the proverb speaks of in Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. 
Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Apart from the Spirit of God residing in us, humanity walks according to the flesh. We set our minds on the things of the flesh, and this does not lead to life and peace, church. This leads people to spiritual and physical death, to separation from God, to misery and life, and to condemnation and wrath, both now and in the future. We could not, in our own strength, please God. We couldn't do it. We needed Christ to accomplish and obtain our peace. And we needed the Spirit to come and apply this peace to our lives. We are not in the flesh, church. Paul assures true believers of this. He goes on in Romans 8 and verse 9. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We needed the spirit to come and dwell in us, to empower us, to change our affections, to give us faith, to make us no longer hostile towards God, but at peace with God and others. Church, because now we have the Holy Spirit, we are now able and empowered to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, and this is how the peace of God is experienced by us each and every day. Well, the question then arises, what does it mean to set our minds on the things of the Spirit? Well, first of all, to set our minds, it means to focus intently on something, to give it our attention. And did you know that multitasking, I was hearing a neuroscientist talk about this, multitasking is actually a lie. You actually cannot multitask. You are deceiving yourselves to thinking you can. What you're doing in those multitasking moments is you are just shifting your attention from one thing to another back and forth quickly. And the shifting of attention is actually what causes a lot of mental exhaustion and fatigue. All right, so multitasking is not a real thing. All right, you're just shifting your attention all over the place. And I understand sometimes that's a necessary thing. But listen, to set our minds means to focus intently on something, to give it our attention, to set our energy and our imagination on something. And to set our minds on something is not just an intellectual thing, but it includes our affections as well. To set our minds and hearts on something, the, thing of, the things of the Spirit. A believer should not be consumed with giving all their mental and emotional energy to their sinful desires. A believer, one who is in Christ, one who has no more condemnation and the Spirit of God dwells inside, no, their thoughts are to be captivated by the things of the Spirit. And this is what will allow them to experience and enjoy life and peace. Well, what are the things of the Spirit? 
What are we to set our minds on? Set our minds on the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? All right. We're going to go to a few different verses we'll have up on the screen. Jesus helps us out a little bit in uh, John 16. Jesus, uh, let me not say that. Jesus helps us out a lot, all right? But, but in these uh, verses, it's going to add to what are the things of the Spirit. Oh, boy. Forgive me, Lord. All right. John 16, verse 13. Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All right, so we know the Spirit then, right, comes to the apostles, inspires the scriptures of the New Testament to be written. He had already inspired the Old Testament scriptures so that now we can hold in our hands our Bibles and we can read and meditate on these very words of God and the Spirit guides us in all this truth. We also see that the Spirit glorifies Christ, right? He he points us to Christ, And so the Spirit here from John 16, from Jesus, we're learning the Spirit is guiding us in truth and pointing us to Christ. We also get a little bit more insight as to what setting our mind on the Spirit means in Galatians 5. Paul, in Galatians 5, is contrasting the things and the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, 19... These are, these are works of the flesh he's describing, but these are certainly things as believers we are not to be setting our minds on, right? We are not to set our minds on these things of the flesh. He says in Galatians 5.19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? He's saying don't don't walk in these things, don't set your mind upon these things. But then he goes on in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so to take what we learned from Jesus in John 16 and Paul in Galatians 5, I'm going to summarize concisely what it means to set our mind on the Spirit. All right, this is what it means. To set our mind on the Spirit, it means to focus our thoughts and affections on the truth of God's Word and on the truth of Christ's work. I'll say it again. To set our mind on the Spirit means to focus our thoughts and affections on the truth of God's Word and on the truth of Christ's work as opposed to where we oftentimes let our minds go, and that is to the lies of the world and the works of the flesh. 
Because you know what? Reality is that our minds are prone to wander. And some of us who are in Christ and who Christ has accomplished peace for us, we are not experiencing and enjoying the peace today because we are allowing our minds to be set upon lies and sinful desires. And so some of you right now, you're finding yourself, you, just, it's, you can't break out of this negative cycle of, of thinking and living. And because what happens is when you give energy to thoughts in your brain, these thoughts actually grow in your brain. It actually changes the structure of the neurons and the dendrites in your brain. The longer you dwell on something, the more you think about it, the more it captivates and consumes your brain. And the more it captivates and consumes your brain, the more it affects your emotions and how you feel. And the more it affects your emotions and how you feel, the greater influence it has on the choices and decisions you make. But for those who are in Christ, we are to, like Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10.5, We are to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Church, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have a different mindset than those who are in the flesh. When you start believing lies and start dwelling on lies and start thinking about lies, you got to cut those off at the pass. Like, don't set your mind on those lies. The more you dwell on it, the longer you're giving your attention to it, the harder it is going to be to cut it off. But that's not how we experience life and peace in Christ. Peace in Christ. We are to take every thought captive for Christ. And so instead of going down the envious thought pathway that we've gone down time and time again, instead of going down the lustful thought pathway that we've gone down time and time again, instead of going down the anger pathway that we've gone down time and time again, instead of that, we can now set our mind upon Christ. Many of us, we go down that thought pathway of guilt and shame. And we need to, right when that comes to our mind, we need to put God's truth in front of our, set our attention on the truth of chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And here's the amazing thing about the body and the mind that God has given us. There are There are certain aspects of our body that work without us even being conscious of them, right? Uh, Like for the most part, you've been breathing uh, unconsciously this entire time. You weren't even thinking about your breathing until I brought it up to you. But the way that God has designed us, we are not just these spirits, right? We we, We have the spiritual and physical are all connected, When you feel like your mind is spiraling out of control and you feel like you can't get a control on anger or lust or anxiety or fear and you're in a moment where you know Christ has accomplished your peace but you're just not experiencing it right now, here's one practical thing that you can do. If you want to slow down and control your thoughts, you need to slow down and control your breathing. 
Because God has designed the diaphragm in such a way that we can take control of our breathing and slow it down. And the diaphragm then communicates with the brain and the slower breathing tells your brain to slow down as well. And then when you slow down your thoughts, then you can think to set them upon the truth of God's word and the truth of Christ's work. And while you're concentrating maybe on your breathing, you should be setting your mind on some verses, some truth of God's word, some truth about Christ's work, right? Maybe it's when you breathe in, you say or think, no, there is no condemnation. And then when you breathe out for those in Christ Jesus. Maybe when you breathe in, you think the mind that is set on the spirit, breathe out, experiences life and peace. You breathe in, be still and know, breathe out, that I am God. Set your mind upon the Spirit, church. Set your mind upon the truth of God's word and the truth of Christ's work. Take every thought captive for Christ. Set your mind on what Paul encourages you to in Philippians chapter 4, where he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What have you learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Church, what are you setting your mind upon throughout the week? When no one else is around, when your mind wanders, what do you dwell on? What thoughts are you giving your energy and strength and time to? Some of you like to fantasize and you get caught up into sin with that. But listen, you've got the spirit of the living God dwelling in you. You have the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in you. You don't have to go down that sinful pathway anymore. How about you start fantasizing for the glory of God and the fame of Christ? How about you start daydreaming about what God could do with a group of faithful Christians in Franklin who love God and love others and want to be a blessing to the city and the world? How about you daydream about what God could do here? Right? We who have the Spirit in us, we have a different mindset than those who don't. The person who's always thinking about the worst case scenario, listen, and fearing the worst, that is setting your mind upon the flesh. Now there's, there's wisdom in thinking through all the possibilities, thinking about how this could go. I'm talking about the person who's always fearing the worst in everything. You've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. How about you start thinking about what God could do, the, the best thing that could come from this, right? The truth of God's word tells us that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
The person who struggles with anxiety is oftentimes thinking about tomorrow and a future where God isn't there or doesn't care. The person whose mind is set on the Spirit knows that tomorrow, that God is already there and he cares about it. The person whose mind is set on the flesh wakes up dreading the day that is ahead of them. The person whose mind is set on the Spirit tells themselves and preaches to themselves, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Church, if you love and trust Christ, you are no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And we have a different mindset. We are not making war on God and others and striving for peace with our sinful desires. No, we have peace with God and others. And we pursue it and want to experience it each and every day. And we make war on our sinful desires. And when the accuser comes to cause us to question and condemn our faith, We set our minds on the Spirit, on the truth of God's Word and the truth of Christ's work. And we experience with peace with God because we know that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.